0: ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all of the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 23 million cards across all major eras and genres. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace to try and flip. To continue serving collectors as our hobby grows, ComC is actively hiring for a range of different roles. Learn more and apply online at comc.com/jobs. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Tell you what, we're wrapping up another week in the hobby, and it was a blast for me. I got to have a couple opportunities this week that don't come up all the time, but I had a lot of fun. One of them was a conversation with Bernard. He had asked Rich Klein and I to come on to a Facebook Live and have a conversation about the pros and cons of grading. And so it was a great opportunity to talk about both sides of that topic with some folks who are, are as passionate about the hobby as I am. And we were able to kind of hash out the pros, hash out the cons, talk through the recent price changes that we're starting to see amongst the grading companies of PSA and SGC. So it is. it was a lot of fun to have that conversation on Facebook Live uh, with those folks. And also that led to an additional conversation that will be the completion of one of my 2021 hobby goals, and that is knocking off the complete 1968 Tops baseball set. I had been whittling it down. I had only needed a handful of cards. Um, after last month's strong sales, I had a little extra funds to be able to put towards that and so I picked up the bench rookie not too long ago and then I actually picked up the big dog that I needed and that was the Nolan Ryan rookie I actually picked that up on Com C was able to use some of my Com C store credit to to land that Nolan Ryan that led to me only needing the Mickey Mantle to complete the set and through that conversation with Rich he had an extra copy of that in a lower grade condition, which is all I'm after. I don't need a a fancy, fancy grade. So it's a raw, low grade, low, low grade copy. And he's going to be getting that to me. And I'm going to be buying that from him. And that will mark my 1968 top set complete. And so that was a lot of fun. also had a chance to get together earlier in the week with a few guys hosted by Dr. Beckett, and he does an annual dinner with a variety of hobbyists. And he did that virtually this year. And so from my own home, I was able to get on a Zoom call with Dr. Beckett and uh, several other guys in the hobby. And we had a great conversation about modern cards and uh, a few topics related to modern cards. I believe he'll be issuing that in a few different chunks on his podcast uh, in the coming months. And so I would I would say check out his podcast if you haven't already, if you want to hear some conversations like that, as well as learning from the wisdom of somebody who is a hobby icon, check out Dr. Beckett's podcast as well. Well, today I have a interview for you with Greg Larson, and he is the author of the new book, or will be coming out soon, the book Clubby. And it tells about the two seasons he spent as a clubhouse attendant for the Aberdeen Ironbirds A minor league affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles and so I got a chance to sit down with him talk a little bit about his book and his process in writing the book what he took away from that experience and I think you're gonna enjoy it we'll get to that interview right after I tell you about underdog collectibles they're an online shop run by collectors for collectors and they break new product every Tuesday Thursday and Sunday night looks like this week they've got a variety of baseball, basketball, football products that are going to be available, maybe even some autographed baseballs that are going to be available. And so check them out at udogcollect.com for a break that won't break the bank. You can also follow them on Facebook where they've got a great group where people chat, ask questions, just celebrate the hits that they've got, celebrate what they've accomplished in the hobby. It's a great community there on Facebook. And you can also subscribe to them on YouTube. That's one of the best places to watch those actual live breaks. So you buy into your break on their website at U Dog Collect, then you subscribe on YouTube and watch that break unfold on YouTube. Check them out at udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. All right, let's get on with the interview.
1: Greg, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for having me. So your book
0: recounts the two seasons you spent working as the clubhouse attendant for the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who is a a low A Orioles affiliate. Let's set the stage a little bit. Now you played ball up through high school and you worked as an equipment manager for your college team,
1: correct? That's right. I actually played division three baseball at Hamlin university for about 48 hours before I was cut from the team. That was the extent, that was the end of my playing experience. And then, when I graduated, I had experience as a jockstrap washer for the division one Winthrop University Eagles. There you go. And, and what did you study in school? Uh, I was actually an English creative writing major uh, in undergrad. And then I have a master's in fine arts in creative writing as well. And actually taught for a couple of, I taught freshman English at the university level for a couple of semesters. Terrible professor, by the way. So what led to the opportunity to work with Aberdeen? It was a fluke because those jobs as a clubhouse attendant, those jobs don't get listed on websites usually. They get handed down to somebody's nephew or somebody's son or grandkid. There's just nepotism all the way through. And it was just a fluke that I graduated. My only experience was being a clubhouse attendant. I love baseball. I grew up a Twins fan. And I just happened to see that there was one of these clubhouse attendant jobs available in Aberdeen. I didn't even realize how much of a fluke it was until the manager Gary Allenson with the Iron Birds asked me how I got the job. And I said I found it online on Teamwork Sports Online. And it's just they just shrugged it off. Like, how the hell did you possibly get this job from a, a search, a Google search, basically? That's funny. And what years were you there again? 2012 and 2013.
0: So now when you went into that opportunity? Were you going into the
1: experience with a plan to write a book about it one day? No, it really wasn't until a, a few weeks into that first season. I had an experience. Um, one of the players on the team, Alex Schmarzo, he's a pitcher on the team. He was, he called himself the resident senior citizen of the Ironbirds. And he was 23 years old, which is crazy. You know, New York Penn League short season single a doesn't exist anymore. But at that time, that was crazy old for that level. Um, And he took me under his wing and he sort of told me like, Hey man, this world uh, is not what you think it is. It's kind of seedy. We get paid $1,200 a month only during the season. And I found a player handbook and I saw, wow, I'm, I'm the jockstrap washer and I'm making three times as much as the players. And that's when it clicked in my head, like, Oh man, there might be a story here of this behind the scenes sort of underbelly of professional baseball.
0: Now, I thought the book does a great job of giving kind of that behind-the-curtain view of what life is like for both the players, the coaches, as well as the stadium staff. And it really, like you just kind of touched on it, busts some of those assumptions that many people might have. So what surprised
1: you the most about the way things really are? It's, it's hard to talk about even in the book, but one of the first things, the open prejudice against Dominican players in particular just the open way that people would people would discriminate against Dominican guys and yet they weren't really taking care of there's nobody around to acclimate them to American life, let alone professional life. And it was the same case with American guys too, but it seemed like the Dominican guys who might have come from, you know, Santa Domingo and they come from poverty, perhaps, they did not have an opportunity to acclimate to that world. And it was almost like that was held against them in the clubhouse. For example, sometimes the Dominican guys wouldn't have anybody translating for the um english-speaking coaches giving like team speeches they'd just be left there like como like what the hell just happened that was the most shocking and i got sucked into it by the second season like i started feeling myself with those same prejudices like oh i'm not going to treat the you know they call them conios which is basically like mfr in um dominican slang and i i started treating those guys the same way but the thing is like at least at that time, about 25% of minor league players are from the Dominican. And it's a huge portion of minor leagues, even if at the time, like 12% of major leaguers are Dominican. And yet those guys just seem to be treated as second-class citizens in the clubhouses, it felt like.
0: You know, you talked about uh, a couple of the friendships that you did make, both just Mm -hmm. now and also throughout the book. I, I was wondering, are there any relationships from those two years that continue today?
1: So you remember Alan Mills, Alan Mm -hmm. Mills, 12 years in the majors. He's the pitching coach with the iron birds for the two seasons that I was there. Um, Alan Mills has famously been in a couple of brawls uh, one in 1998, when he knocked out Daryl strawberry one in 2000, when he was a part of a LA Dodgers bullpen that fought some fans at Wrigley field, Alan Mills was a, uh, He's a brawler. <laughs> I mean, like, that's just his personality type. I haven't talked to him in five years since I was doing um, interviews for this book. He called me up on Saturday and uh, he said, first things first, I sent him a review copy. He said, first things first, do you have power and do you have water? I was like, yeah, I have power and water, but it touch and go for a couple of days there. And he said, yeah, well it's going to be touch and go the next time I see you mate, you made me the damn villain of this book. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, which, was horrifying because like the la- these are real people, but they're also character. It's this strange dichotomy of real people, but also characters in the story, including myself. And I had to explain to him, look, man, like you're definitely not the villain of the story. Like we might be foils and we might be rivals in certain ways, but you're not the villain. And secondly, like anything I said about him disparagingly, was me at the time, not me as an author now. And that seems to be everybody that has contacted me who's in the book has had a similar has had a similar um, understanding that Mills and I eventually got to that. This is from that time. It's not because I rip on people. I make fun of people. I make smart ass comments about myself and all of the people in there. Everybody's taking it uh, the way I hoped they would. That's good.
0: Yeah. You know, as I read the book, it seemed the concept of respect comes up a lot you earning the respect of the players, the players earning the respect of the coaches and the fans and the organizations coaches wanting to be respected for their past MLB experiences and other examples throughout the organization. Can you talk a little bit about how that idea of respect comes into play?
1: Yeah, it started. One of the first things I learned from the, um, the Orioles minor league equipment manager, basically the Orioles minor league overseeing clubby, Jake Parker. He pulled me into Ed Smith stadium in Sarasota, the Orioles spring training complex. And he told me straight up, he said, a respect is earned, not given in professional baseball. And he told me that I needed to beef up physically in order to maintain order in the clubhouse. He told me that he wrestled with players sometimes like, Hey, we did this as a joke, but also it's kind of serious. Like this idea that, There's no HR department in a clubhouse, you know? So it's like, it's not completely Lord of the flies, but it is uh, this feeling that we are self-regulating. And I was like the team mom in that clubhouse. If I did not maintain a level of respect with the players, I would lose the clubhouse. And that would mean sure tips would go down because I made my living off of tips and dues. That part would happen if I lost the respect of the clubhouse but also it just make my life a living hell. Like I was literally living in the equipment closet that second season. And if I have to wake up and guys are giving me a hard time about every baseball and every bat and everything in there, it's hard for me. And it's hard for the players to respect. Look, like it's a grind. Even a short season season is a grind. And if there's not a level of camaraderie, it's just not going to work. Like it just becomes a chore. And it was that first season. And the second season, it was a little different.
0: The life like you just mentioned the life of a player or the staff members can be long and taxing during the season. And it often puts a strain on relationships as we see a little bit in the book. Is there anything you picked up from the experience that influences the way you approach work and approach relationships today? Wow. Wow. <laughs> I like, as, to, I like to push a little bit. I
1: like to go deep a little bit with some of these. I guys. love that, dude. That's a hard one. I was very, what's the word? Self-depriving as a clubhouse attendant. I would go, I would be sleep deprived. During the season, I would lose up to 30 pounds, sometimes even more. I wouldn't eat for fear of taking the spread from the players and we wouldn't have enough food. I mean, it was, some of that was the, nature of the job. And some of that was my own issues with self-deprivation and these kinds of things. And it really, I assumed that that's how I had to be effective in work, not just as a clubby, but in work after that, I used to be a ghostwriter. Um, so I'd ghostwrite books for um, like CEOs and business leaders. And it got to the point where I was giving so much to their books that I wasn't even working on clubby anymore. I had let it die in my mind. It was just an unfinished manuscript. I'd been rejected by a hundred plus agents and publishers. And I was just giving all the same way I did when I was a clubby. I was just giving a lot of my juice to other people and then feeling resentful about it, thinking that this was required of me when in fact it was all of my own volition. Nobody cared if I ate an extra peanut butter sandwich as a clubhouse attendant. Nobody cared if I, you know, took some baseballs for myself. I was the only one paying attention to that stuff. And like, it took a lot of work actually publishing Clubby, like lighting a fire under my butt to actually get it published. Rejected 221 times. The F- University of Nebraska Press rejected me once in the process, and I finally got them to come around. It was almost like taking that, taking something for myself, and saying. I'm not going to deprive myself anymore and I'm not going to deprive other people anymore either because people are going to enjoy the story. So why not give it to the world?
0: Now there's a lot of time spent alone with only your thoughts to keep you company when you're a clubby. Was that (laughs) hard for you?
1: (laughs) Is it hard for me? It is dangerously comfortable for me. You know what I mean? Like I tend to be a pretty introspective guy. I live way too much in my own head. It, um, similar to the self-deprivation thing, it turned into, you know, sometimes I would be in the equipment closet by myself. It would be an off day. There's nobody else in the clubhouse except for me because I was living in there. And I would just, I would think about home, my girlfriend in South Carolina. I would think about my playing days. I would think about how I had come to that point where, man, I loved baseball and I became cynical about it. And it was, I don't know that it was good for me mentally, but it was almost necessary for me to go through, you know, like the only, the only way you can actually get through an emotion is to feel it fully. And that isolation, I think is, I've learned to use it more as a tool, I guess.
0: You mentioned while you were in the middle of it, it kind of made your view of baseball a little more cynical has that carried forward to today or has that evolved a little bit now that you're several years removed from
1: the experience? Uh, I hate to say it, but it, it still carries on. Like, I, I don't know who won the last five world series. Um, I might watch a couple of twins games here and there. I'll keep up with old ironbirds players like Trey Mancini and Mike Stremski, those guys, Stephen Brawl to have, you know, had their time in the show, but, um, I quite frankly, I think baseball could stand to have a little bit more cynicism in the 21st century. I think the, you know, one of the big themes in the book, the big motif is about space and this sort of like cosmic perfect, cosmic level of perfection that we project onto the game, which I feel like is a relic of the past. And I don't think it is applicable anymore. Like, I think the only way baseball can succeed is if we sort of integrate that cynicism and accept the fact that it is a business stop fighting against that i frankly i think the contraction is good for baseball first of all like the minor league contraction it allows major league baseball to give more money more money to the players who do still exist in the minors um i think a little bit of cynicism is a good thing for baseball now this is a hobby and sports card podcast
0: and Mm -hmm. there's a few references to cards in the book Mm -hmm. Several of the players you interacted with were pretty highly touted prospects. Like the guys, as you just mentioned, Mancini, Skrimsky, they had cards while prospects, but I don't know that they had any while they were on the team. Of those that did, and and that comes up a little bit, like I said in the book, what did they think about being on a card? Was that a topic that came up much at all within the the clubhouse?
1: That did not come up with the the top-level prospect guys. I never once heard them think about it outside of, I would hand them fan mail, they would sign the card, and they would send this self-addressed stamped envelope back to the fan. The guys, I would say, who were less likely to make the show, those guys might have been more likely. Like Alex Schmarzo, the pitcher who uh, took me under his wing. Before he got moved up to the Delmarva Shorebirds, I had him sign a baseball card of his that had been taped on the side of the washing machine uh, that first summer. It was there when I arrived, so I just left it there. And he became my best friend on the team. So when he moved up, I had him sign that card. Um, That card still, that's the only baseball card I own. And I expect that I'll never own another baseball card. It's on my refrigerator right now. It's kind of uh, counterintuitive, right? Like the guys whose cards would be most valuable seem to care about it the least.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Were there, you mentioned that's really the only card you have, was there any other memorabilia or things like that that you kind of kept as a souvenir from the experience?
1: I only have two other pieces of memorabilia. It's my Iron Bird's cap that I wore my second season as a clubby and a, um, an Iron Bird's shirt that I believe has Matt Marullo's name and number on the back of it, number 27. Other than that, I took pictures of stuff. <laughs> it hurts my heart to say it, but after that last season, I took a lot of uh, my memorabilia and I sold it. It hurts to say, but that's just, that's what I did. I almost wanted to distance myself from it more. You know what I mean? Um, but those three items are all I have left. And then the memories, the book, man. Yeah, that, that's great. What, what have you been up to in the years since? So since that 2013 season, I got my master's degree in creative writing. I taught freshman English at Old Dominion University for a couple of semesters since then, after I graduated, I've been ghostwriting for CEOs. I stopped that process in October and have just completely focused on my own writing. Getting clubby out into the world and I'm working on a new novel right now, a pandemic love story. It's based on a real experience I had last year. I'm about halfway through that one. That one, I won't, that's all the information I'll give you about that book right now. All right, all right.
0: Well, tease us a little bit. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that one. Where can people
1: find you and find the book? They can find the book and um, extra content, deleted scenes, videos at clubbybook.com. That's C-L-U-B-B-I-E book.com. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Clubby Baseball. And if you choose to f- pre-order the book before April 1st, you can find it on Amazon. Just type C-L-U-B-B-I-E into the search bar.
0: Well, thanks again for for joining me today. I hope people check it out. I was was fortunate enough to be able to see a a preview copy as well and really enjoyed it. So I encourage all of you to go check out Clubby. There you have it. So if you want to check out the book, I do have a link to the, the book on Amazon in the show notes. And so you can do that. I'm also going to have a Book review on waxpackhero.com, and it will also contain an Amazon link to be able to pick up the book. As some of you know, I spent uh, several seasons as a volunteer baseball chaplain with an independent minor league team here in our hometown, the normal Cornbelters. And I saw a lot of parallels between what I experienced getting to know those guys and and what Greg relayed with Aberdeen. And so it was was neat to kind of see those connections, that that consistency exists kind of at all levels of minor league baseball. And so I, I kind of had a personal connection to this book as well. I really enjoyed it, and I would encourage you to check it out. Well, that's all I've got for you today. So before we go, I just want to remind you to leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. Send me an email, let me know what you like, what you don't like about the show at waxpackhero at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. I hope you have a great week and I'll catch you next time.